Welcome to Superhero Century. It is the first episode of our podcast series here on the Cinema Composite channel. We are here. We're going to review a bunch of superhero movies from this century. I'm Dan. Joining me are... I'm Tom. I'm Matt. And I'm Kat. The Dream Team. We're all here. We are looking at every superhero movie this side of the year 2000. We picked that date semi-arbitrarily, but... It is the century of superheroes. It is the genre that really captured this era of movies, dominated the box office. So we've decided to watch every superhero movie in that span. And we are starting with the 2000 film X-Men, the film that started it all. The way this podcast is going to work is we are going to watch these movies, really break them down, have a lot of fun with them. These are not serious podcasts. We're just going to you know, watch them. We've got a couple categories to really dissect some of the, the details of these superhero movies. Some of them are great, some of them are terrible, but we're going to look at all of them. I do want to remind everyone here that it has been 20 years, so a lot has changed in the movie industry in 20 years, and you can tell. That's true. We're going to get to that today with X-Men debuting in the summer of 2000, which is almost exactly 20 years ago. I hate that. (laughs) We wanted to start with X-Men, one, because we have a soft spot for this movie. I think it's a movie that we grew up with, but also it is kind of the kicking off point of the modern superhero era. Obviously there are superhero movies before 2000 with the Superman franchise, all the the Batman movies, but in terms of like the modern sense of building franchises, maybe bringing together heroes that you wouldn't be familiar with, you know, digging deep into these comic book stories. Well, really getting to use CGI. I think that really came in. Definitely. Yeah. Fruition for 2000. The 90s were interesting for superhero movies because prior to that, um, with with the exception of the Batman series, which I'm sure we can spend a little more time talking about, but everything else from this era seemed a little more geared towards adults. I mean, you had stuff like Judge Dredd, Spawn, The Crow, Blade. X-Men was a little different because it was the first one that felt like it was geared towards a younger crowd. Um, You know, I was, we were, what we were talking about, eight or nine or something like that when this came out. And this felt directly, you know, marketed towards me. I feel like this is a good balance of like funny, but dramatic and I don't know, kind of started to kick off this we can do this new superhero movie, I guess. It's also, I think, apart from maybe Mystery Men, it might have been the first superhero movie that incorporated a bunch of different heroes. Am I wrong with that? No, and I'm so glad you brought up Mystery Men because that (laughs) movie's so damn good. Of all the superhero movies in the 90s, that's probably my favorite one, like, until X-Men hits the scene. Well, especially, like, in the modern era of superhero movies, every movie is trying to incorporate so many different heroes and different plot lines. That wasn't necessarily a thing back in the day. X-Men was the first time where they really decided we're going to introduce 12 characters here and right. tr- try to interweave these stories. It's definitely the first team outside of Batman and Robin, right. if you will. So before we get into X-Men, the movie, let's just I'm going to run down some quick facts. Uh, directed by Brian Singer. We'll talk about him later, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, written by David Hayter and also written by like 14 other people that go <laughs> like wrote this movie and did a bunch of different drafts. But David Hayter, he also did X2 and Watchmen, but that's pretty much it. That's all he's <laughs> ever really done. Not a bad list. Debuted July 14th. 2000 had a budget of 75 million dollars anyone want to guess what the box office was for this god it's got to be huge i sure don't worldwide it made 296 million wow so enough (laughs) enough where it really told studios that superhero movies might be the way to go right it makes sense that it kicked off this big trend that's that's crazy considering i'm i mean i'm i don't think they have any idea that it was going to make that much money But this movie, and I'll get into that later, does a great job of setting up the next one. Uh, Just to give some context for the cinema landscape at the time, uh, we just talked about this is post-Batman, and that franchise really kind of flamed out by the end of the 90s. Batman and Robin was 
truly killed awful. Full, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that was really the, you know, Blade was obviously around, but not a huge no, hit. Different things. In 1999, The Matrix and The Phantom Menace came out, made a ton of money, but really forced uh, special effects into a new huh. realm. Forced. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Well done. The development of X-Men actually began way back in 1984 uh, with Orion Pictures and James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow were originally attached to huh. produce and direct it. Which could have been awesome. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's going to figure out special effects in the 80s, it's James Cameron to make this work. 20th Century Fox bought the rights to this movie after the success of the anime show the animated show was also a pretty big reason for brian singer to get into it apparently he just he was not interested the first couple times i asked and then he watched the entire animated series and was like okay i get the story they're trying to tell i get why this is important in terms of development this was written in the 90s by a bunch of different people uh joss whedon famously wrote a script and i think they used parts of the script it was was like a couple lines yeah i hope Uh, it wasn't the toad and lightning bit i'm pretty sure he did the line that was um like you're a dick ah that's that that, line the best line it is it is also funny like you have to acknowledge the fact that you know for a big genre thing this came hot off the heels of, of Buffy, which mm, I'm true. sure I'm sure there's a lot of overlap in that crowd. I'm yeah. not sure if you were trying to set it up, Dan, but with all those writers, they were the true X-Men getting together to create <laughs> this. Another one was Christopher McQuarrie, who has worked with Brian Singer a lot, but he's most famous now for directing the last couple of Mission Impossible movies. Mm. Um, original directing choices, once 20th Century Fox came aboard, Brett Ratner, who famously did x-men 3 which is terrible they also <laughs> offered it to robert rodriguez which would have been interesting hmm. uh, and also sense. paul ws anderson mm-hmm. can you imagine after the success of usual suspects fox actually offered brian singer alien resurrection hmm. as a directing gig but he didn't really want that they tried to convince him to do some kind of big blockbuster and they eventually convinced him to do x-men cool we'll get into some more trivia in a bit but let's talk about your reaction to the movie First, what did this mean to you personally as you grew up watching this? And also, what did you notice on this rewatch now in 2020? For me coming into this, I was aware of the cartoon series, but I wasn't a big fan. I know it's a weird thing to say, but uh, I remember going home from school and thinking that the animation was more geared to be 90s because it's a very 90s cartoon with like the teenage angst I think of. I had no interest in really seeing this movie, uh, but I did see it when it was on TV a million times. I think... This is maybe the second time I've ever seen it on a DVD or Blu-ray. So it's it's really just my memory of seeing bits on television. Yeah, so, I definitely ran on TNT for days. And nothing end. was edited out. So I'm I, I'm I'm the the odd one out here because I, I I'm guessing I would have seen this in theaters. I don't remember for a fact, but this seems like something that my dad would have taken me to see. Um, it and, helps you have a nerdy dad. Yeah, yeah, I love you, dad. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I got to go see this. I was always I was always into like genre fiction and stuff. So it it probably didn't even strike me how unique this was to have a really successful superhero, you know, comic book movie. It didn't feel like a big deal to me then, but I think looking back now, I realize that it was. I'm with Matt and Dan here. I don't think I watched this in theaters. I certainly, I probably didn't watch it for a couple of years after it came out, and it was funny rewatching it now how much I remember from the movie because I really don't think I gave it the time of day when I was younger. So it was interesting to watch it now and just see how much of it was like, oh yeah, this is what that came from. So I don't know. Oddly enough, being younger, I think my favorite parts of it uh, were Magneto. He's my favorite part of the whole series. Ian McKellen kills it. Well, and that that's the thing is, I mean, it's, it's actually a relatively high caliber cast oh, it's a great and, cast. And, yeah we'll get and, into that in a second um but like to have someone like ian mckellen and oh. and patrick stewart 
to have them in something like this is really crazy because with any, you know, lesser actors, it could have been a real shit show. That, that's what I got watching at this time was this might have been the first time, maybe not the first time, using Shakespearean actors to deliver just kind of exposition dialogue, maybe not the most compelling dialogue. But when you have such great acting talent delivering these lines, they sell it and they take it so seriously I mean, before this, we had serious actors in comic book movies. I'm thinking like Jack Nicholson and Tommy Lee Jones. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Danny oh. DeVito. <laughs> sure. I mean, like those are all good actors, but they're handing it out. Like this is, that, sure. that's their opportunity to have a super fun time on set. Those performances serve those movies fine. But the fact that, you know, this movie starts in a concentration camp. It's serious. And Magneto is a serious character where to the point where he's not just like, maniacally laughing every time he talks right it makes you at least take the character seriously yeah i mean you, you mentioned it starting in a concentration camp which is a bold move that's a bold move that's a bold move and damn it if it doesn't work it, it's it one does. of my it, favorite sequences the, of the, the whole film the parallel is just it's obviously clear and it's amazing and it makes a lot of sense it, it was Again, it was bold, but it paid off. <laughs> you know, something that surprised me today watching this is I assume this was like a two and a half hour movie because like there's so much that goes on in it. And it's only an hour and 44 minutes. It's amazing how quick this movie moves, especially when you realize that they're trying to set up like 12 different characters. There's like, a lot. Like the first 40 minutes are like just like one scene of setting up a different character, essentially. And Kat, maybe that's why you remember it so well is because it's just so compact that yeah. there's right. not a whole lot to forget. It's impressive that they can do so much in such a short movie, especially for someone like me going in who probably was like, I have no idea what any of these people are doing here. What's an X-Man? What is an X-Man? <laughs> I think that's the strength and the weakness of this film. The weakness is that you really don't get enough of any character to really know a lot about them or what they're really trying to go for. But it's also very efficient at what it's doing in an hour and 45 minutes it, where it you... It teases it out where you want exactly. to hear more about them. Yeah. And I... I it's tough to say because I have such a knowledge of these characters, but does this do a good job of setting them up like as characters? There are a lot of characters you meet, but do I actually think it set them up well, or is it just because I mentally know everything right. about them already? I think it sets up at least Wolverine, Professor X, and Magneto enough yeah. where you're on sure. their side. The I mean, main characters. I remember watching this. I didn't know anything about X-Men when I watched this originally on cable. Right. You know, and I, I remember going around the house with knives between my fingers from the kitchen. And wow. Like, Dan, Dan is a really big Wolverine <laughs> oh fan. Oh, my God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> he has the scars to prove it. Exactly. I mean, there's enough here where I think it gets you on board into this world. Obviously, like there are characters that really get shortchanged here, like Cyclops and Storm. Yeah, they're they're hardly do. in it. I, I try to nitpick that just because it's like, God, deep down they had to know they weren't getting a sequel. So like, here's one of these characters. Let's see how many we can cram in because this might be the only chance we get. For the most part, I still enjoyed it, which is impressive. I think overall it was better than I had remembered. Yeah. The final action sequence isn't as climactic as I'd want it to be. It's right. it's fine. It's not great, but it's not as bad as I remember. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into some categories. First, I just want to rattle off some trivia. Um, these are just things I found on the internet. Could be true. Could be false. Who knows? Uh, feel free to react <laughs> to anything I say. Just remember, we might be lying to you. <laughs> uh, the producers wanted to include Nightcrawler, Beast, and Gambit in this movie, but they cut them not just for time, but also for cost. That would have been harder with special effects to produce Nightcrawler in this movie. It pays off, though, for Nightcrawler. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They probably blew too much of the budget on that Roar Sabretooth Gibbs, (laughs) which I think they ripped straight from MGM. In which case, it should have been been super cheap. In theory. Brian Singer thought Magneto's plan to stop persecution by converting world leaders into mutants was a parallel to the Roman Emperor Constantine converting to Christianity. Wow. (laughs) That is a bold, deep... Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I think of it as the villains in the Batman 66 film where they turn the world leaders into dust. Oh, I've not seen that, but sounds right. And this is pretty obvious, but Senator Kelly is meant as a stand-in for Senator McCarthy during the Red Scare, trying to identify mutants. That's, that's pretty obvious it, with it, the list bit. It yeah. is obvious, unless you're watching this in a modern lens, in which case it seems way too modern and, and current. Yeah, yeah we'll that's talk true. about that later, too, yeah. I think. Uh, this was filmed mostly in Toronto. Hugh Jackman took ice cold showers every day to get into character. Yeah, so I, I saw I saw the same bit, and it was because the first day he uh, he tried to take a shower and the heat water heater wasn't on, and he was shocked and had to hold in a scream to not wake his wife or whatever, and and he realized that was the mindset he needed to be in, so he just took cold showers every morning. <laughs> I just assumed he had seen himself like in a mirror and just needed the cold shower. That's, that's where I thought you were going Hugh with Jackman's this. the kind of man a man wants when a man wants a man, but I also Amen. like Hugh Jackman, too. Huge so. Jackman. Huge Jackman. Huge Jackman. Huge Jackman. Yeah. Although he's not as jacked in this one no, as he is in really not. not. He's a lightweight. When that fighting scene at the... Yeah, that's... Yeah, he's more attainable in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still have a chance. <laughs> God, his hair. Uh, this is my favorite tri- piece of trivia. Hugh Jackman is from Australia. There are no wolverines in Australia, and he had no idea a wolverine was an animal. He assumed the character was based on some kind of wolf. He had no... This is another bit of trivia no, that I think is fake. I've, I've, I've heard this several times. <laughs> okay. It was a, a few weeks into like prepping the character that Brian Singer told, finally told him that a wolverine was not a wolf. That is great. That's yep. cute for him. Apparently not a University of Michigan fan. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was possible. Dan. That's, a, that's a Dan reference. That's, right? that's, that's, that's a Dan podcast about Dan sports. sports. Yeah. Uh, the mansion is also the same mansion from Billy Madison. And uh, what was the other movie I saw? Ready or not? Ready or not? Probably been in a few movies. I'm guessing. Uh, Brian Singer allowed Ian McKellen to rearrange his filming schedule so he could go shoot Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. Oh, this is one of the most important pieces of trivia because <laughs> if uh, Ian McKellen hadn't been uh, Gandalf this world wouldn't be worth living in. I'm really glad he got to be both because yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone else being Magneto. Right. Yeah, no, it, it is great that he got to do both. Well, we'll get to some casting decisions later, but there is one other person I could see being a really good Magneto. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. On the edge of my seat. Uh, they got rid of the blue and yellow uniforms from the comic, and it was very controversial. Um, I think they released some photos online, and it was kind of the you know, early age of the internet where there's a lot of nerds that were very outraged. We all know that the internet is no longer a bunch of nerds getting mad about movies, so we're good now. (laughs) But Stan Lee famously was in approval of the black uniforms, so I think, you know, that calmed some fears. Nice. The box office success of this movie allowed Marvel to greenlight other movies, including Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk, and Daredevil. And one of those was worth it. (laughs) Yes, only one. (laughs) The most controversial line in the movie, the famous Halle Berry... Do you know what happens when a, a toad gets struck by lightning line? There's a lot of controversy about where that originated. Originally, Halle Berry said she ad-libbed it, and she got a lot of heat for that. Then there's a rumor that Joss Whedon wrote that line. That's what I've read. Yeah. Um, but the true story, from what I've read, is that there were some setup scenes between Storm and Toad where Toad keeps taunting her with that similar line, and it's more of a callback to that joke. Weird. They cut those scenes out. 
It's um, a weird thing that Haley would want to claim that. Yeah. I came up with that. So I'm not sure. What I what I had seen about that, and you know, again, these are all just found off the internet, so who knows? <laughs> uh, was that it was in, intentionally supposed to be a very like tongue in cheek, funny line, but uh, she was just really insistent on saying it seriously. Tongue in cheek. Yeah. Uh, yes. Sorry. So I and I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I really noticed this time. Speaking of Toad, he has warts on his forehead. I don't know how I missed that before, but it was <laughs> they're of, they're pretty blatant. They're pretty blatant. Yeah. yeah. Any other trivia from you guys? My absolute favorite piece of trivia is that a few years prior to this, there was a crossover novel with Star Trek: Next Generation and X Men. <laughs> wow. And in the novel, they talk about how Picard looks like Charles Xavier. Yeah. Uh, uh. And also, apparently, uh, Picard has a very potentially romantic relationship with storm through uh throughout and wow nerds are the best guys wow. <laughs> this is a trivia only for the nerdiest of nerds that love uh, are you afraid of the dark the guy that plays the referee in the cage match uh, is most famous for being the carnival barker in the laughing in the dark episode of are you afraid of the dark <laughs> i think that piece of trivia was meant just for you matt <laughs> well, you i'm really know. happy for whoever whoever can know. relate to you on that one uh, also fun trivia uh the way the camper blows up is not how a usual camper <laughs> <laughs> would blow up on under any circumstances <laughs> it almost looked like magneto had lifted it into the air yeah yep. there was like a gas stove in the back you know chemical reactions mm, no okay, should we get into some casting decisions yeah yeah so originally there's a there's a ton of people involved with this movie that could have been in uh when they originally were working on this in the 80s their original choice for Wolverine was Bob Hoskins. <laughs> I saw that, and that's my that's for the best. Wolverine. Yeah. Oh my god, it's the best. He is the closest to a human Wolverine I can think of. <laughs> he's short, kind of stubby, and he's just he's on, you wouldn't want to corner him. Sure, <laughs> he's amazing. The other and thought they had in the eighties was Angela Bassett as Storm. I love that. That would have been awesome. That, that this is the one casting choice I wish they would have stuck with yeah. because I think Storm gets. Kind of a short change in this movie. Halle Berry is there, but she doesn't get a lot to do. She's not great. She's Angela not. Bassett also, just like takes over whenever yeah, she's on screen. Yeah, she would have been true. badass. Also, yeah. Halle Berry, this is the only one where they tried to have her do the accent, yeah. and she can't do it at all, so <laughs> they just cut it. I, I don't even know what you're talking she about. She has an African accent in this. It's very <laughs> it's, it's, minimal. It's bad. Wow. I guess I completely missed that. Yeah. I think Angela Bassett could have pulled off the Toad Lightning line. Oh, yeah. That would have been maybe. awesome. Maybe. I think she would have made that work. No, that would have been awesome. All right. Um, here are some other Wolverine options as they were casting this movie. Russell Crowe turned it down. Huh? Yeah, he was the, he was the first choice. Yeah, and I would have been okay it. with that. It could have yeah. worked. It would have been an interesting career for Russell Crowe yeah, right. if he had gotten this role. I'd like to think he'd be in much better shape than he is today. <laughs> well, because the other thing he was doing at the time was Gladiator. Yeah, he had uh, to turn it down for Gladiator. Oh. So, like, to have that be the career trajectory, like, that deciding point. That's pretty cool. Maybe yeah. he becomes an action star rather than an Oscar winner. I mean, yeah. I know it wouldn't work because he was, I don't know, I don't know what the ages were, but I know he lived a much harder life. Could you imagine Oliver Reed as Magneto? <laughs> what? That <laughs> Intense, because he's in Gladiator. Yeah, he, I know. He died for the filming, but <laughs> as Magneto, though, yeah, he's so like brooding. Uh, I think he's a little too. He's not intellectual enough. Oh, I yeah, I don't know true. if I see it for Magneto. Oh, right, Where is this going? I don't know. <laughs> Oliver Reed's great. Sorry, sorry. You said Gladiator. I wanted to bring up Oliver Reed. Uh, other options for Wolverine: Doug Ray Scott. He was cast, right? He was cast in this role, and then he turned it down to do Mission Impossible Two. How'd that work out? I mean, <laughs> he has a pretty good part in that movie, but he's not remembered. At all today, so no. I barely remember Mission Impossible Two, let right. alone him. Uh, Glenn Glenn Danzig was also offered the role. Uh, okay. Other other options were Keanu Reeves, hmm. Gary Sinise, Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. These are all Wolverines. Still, these are all saying. Wolverines. Aaron Eckhart, Jean Claude Van Damme. Wow, <laughs> that I would have watched. Viggo Mortensen. 
And Edward Norton. Did you have any other ones for Edward no, that, that's, Norton? That's the list I had. Edward but... Norton. So wow. all, all of those are really interesting. I Hugh Jackman was actually kind of a risk at the time because he had not done an American movie yeah. before. Did any of you guys think of someone that you could have seen play Wolverine other than Hugh Jackman? Because now I feel like as somebody who didn't really know anything mm-hmm. about X-Men going into this, like Hugh Jackman is Wolverine that's, to me. That's the tough thing is that he is you know, for most of our life been playing this character and it's just so iconic. I think in his, uh, if I could do like a time machine casting for this, I think Jack Nicholson in his prime would have had a ball with it because he's so a little menacing. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. I am always going to talk about how much I love Keanu Reeves, but thank God he did not get cast in this. Yeah. Wolverine Wolf. would have been really lost. Like, what are you? You're <laughs> some kind of X-Men? <laughs> Professor X was pretty much always going to go to Patrick Stewart. That yeah. was kind of a fan favorite and perfect they, casting. They there. saved a lot of money on the so, hair. Supposedly, when uh, when they wanted him to do this, they handed him an X-Men comic, and he had never heard of X-Men and goes, why am I on the cover? <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> Other <laughs> options for Magneto. I like both of these guys. I think they almost... Ian McKellen's great, but these guys could have done a, just as good a job, I think. Terrence Stamp. Yeah. How would I know him, Dan? Why didn't you, that ring you, a bell for me? You know Terrence yeah, Stamp. You, okay. Um, the other one is Christopher Lee was considered for this role. Yeah, but he's kind of like... And I know you poo-pooed my Oliver Reed, but he seems like he would have been too old for it. They probably, definitely would have gotten enough too old. movies yeah. out of him. I, sure. I also think that Christopher Lee wouldn't have the same charm that Ian McKellen has like Christopher Lee has the menacing but I don't I don't think he's necessarily sure. got the That's like because you can you can back McKellen a bit Cr- Christopher Lee doesn't have you don't ever feel sympathetic yeah for him. he's just too menacing yeah, yeah. Um, other characters Jim Caviezel was considered for Cyclops you want to remember Jim Caviezel <laughs> no I love how you just hey, rattled that off Jim Caviezel a, plays was, Jesus in the he, Passion of the Christ he's also excellent in the thin red line so I'm I'm uh, actually yeah. not and the Count of Monte Cristo. That. I'm sorry I didn't prepare these yeah. Uh, yeah. these things for this podcast. <laughs> um, Storm. Other options were Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey. Oh, Mariah which, Carey? Thank God yes. we avoided that. Sounds like an internet lie, but whatever. <laughs> there are a couple options for Rogue. Some hot names at the time. Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Katie Holmes, Christina Ricci, Alicia Silverstone, and Natalie Portman. I'm surprised that sounds like a list that like Nev Campbell would have been on. Like yeah, I could true. close my eyes that's and read you know, that she list. Probably <laughs> should have called her agent. On that. I honestly probably would have chosen most of them over Anna Paquin. Yeah, Anna Paquin's acting is not yeah. my favorite thing. She's a little still worse part. Although she is younger than all of these people, that's and true. I do like how Rogue is portrayed as more of a young teenager. I think all of these people would probably seem, maybe besides Natalie Portman, would seem too old for it. I like yeah. to imagine that they took all those headshots and then they had a piece of like trans, like something that they'd be able to trace on top of it, and they just had a white <laughs> streak, and they tried that on every one of their heads, and it just fit her. That the was best. it. That was the casting. That's right how there. they did it. Right. Uh, other options for Jean Grey, Selma. Blair, Lucy Lawless, Maria Bello, and Helen Hunt. No, I like their choice. I think, yeah, it's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I had seen very potential um, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Ethan Hawke for Cyclops. And, Interesting. Wow. And they almost seem too famous. Oh, so yeah, handsome. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to imagine they'd maybe turn it down because they're not going to see their eyes the entire movie. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like That's a, a good point, Dan. It's kind of an ego, you know, I, right, reduction. I, I don't know. I think, I think of the three, only Damon could have pulled it off. I don't. I don't yeah. like. I can't picture Ben Affleck. Matt Damon would have been really good. I, would I think that. he would have done that well. Been great, considering that these actors played these characters for basically like twenty years. I think it's solid casting. Right. 
All right, let's go on to best scene. Our favorite scene in this movie first is the Wolverine introduction in the in the in bar the where he's in the cage oh, match, yeah. leading all the way up to when he you know pulls the the claws out for the first time against the guy and that shotgun yeah. slice. I think that's that's a great character introduction. It is a really great way to start the X Men franchise uh, because Wolverine is the most iconic of them. Uh, the first Wolverine versus Sabretooth fight in the snow. No, no I, I would say pretty, pretty, no. pretty crappy. Um, Wolverine exploring the school for the first time is kind of fun as he thinks he's kind of, you know, in this weird yeah. facility. It's okay. a little goofy. The right. whispering. Uh, Mystique revealing herself in the helicopter. That is, that's a good, that's that a is idea. one of the most and iconic That's ones, definitely Quentin Tarantino's favorite part. Because <laughs> the yes. level of feet oh, violence yes. in that. Uh, the train sequence leading from when Magneto gets Wolverine in the train and captures Rogue leading all the way through when Magneto turns over the cop cars. Right. The cops shoot the guns yeah. and the, the bullets and all Le- that. Less so the train part, but the, the, the face off with the cops is, is That was great. definitely the one scene that I remembered most yeah. going into this. Like I, I, I feel like all these movies sort of blend together for me, all the X-Men movies, just because they weren't my favorite growing up. And that was the one that I was like, ooh. I will I will say that I agree that that is an iconic scene, like Magneto using all the guns against them. However, my brain kept trying to think, I think it's in two, don't cop show up to a house and they do something similar and they're they're frozen. There was something that my brain wanted to connect those two. Yeah, I think even though it is icon- iconic. Yeah, there's I think there's something in two where Professor X pre freezes time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a similar standoff though. Yep. Um last couple nominees, the Statue of Liberty fight at the end, that whole sequence. I thought you were gonna say the Statue of Liberty moment where we learned that Mystique can turn <laughs> into a statue. Cause that underrated is moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's something. Oh, uh, I don't know. Nothing in the Statue of Liberty scene like really amazed me. If any, I think I think that's like some of the roughest because they're yeah. like enclosed quarters, and it just it's it's also when it should have been exciting and right. wasn't. It's a big moment, and they're in like the head of the Statue of Liberty, and we just have to assume. The one part I really like is the image of Magneto floating with the fireworks in the background. Oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah. And then my final nominee is the ending chess match between. Professor X and Magneto. I, that's that's a very iconic moment for I these wrote, characters. I wrote down bubble prison or plastic prison. <laughs> yeah. It's like that whole bit is just great. It, it was actually a lot there. shorter than I remembered it. So that was one of my nominees as well, but it also goes hand in hand with their scene after Jean Grey's Senate address. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the relationship between the two is the most interesting thing in this movie, I think. So I kind of put those two together. And I think that's the point of that. I mean, that's literally tailor-made for that. Any other nominees that I missed? Uh, I, do, I do have when Wolverine has to walk through a metal detector and <laughs> ha- like which is just like a really funny stupid when does setup. that happen what did I- when they go into the statue of liberty and he walks through the metal detector everyone goes in front and not- doesn't go off for any of them he walks through starts going so he just stabs it it's and when then he uses the middle finger. yeah and then he oh, retracts right. the Sorry. two outside yes, claws right. so he that's flicks right. off i don't know wow. if i consider that a scene but a, a good moment it's, it's, a good it's one bit. of the best it's, it's one of the best yeah. but then also shortly after when he has to prove to <laughs> cyclops that he's not mystique and he just says you're a dick and cyclops like yep it's him i have that written down as the best line the movie for me because that that's classic banter yeah it's great um my favorite scene just because they had the balls to do it is the ostwitz that opening that's so dark and how that's it's such an iconic scene that it gets used in another movie like they completely recreate it because it's just got so much emotion and it does make you sympathetic for magneto even though he's the bad guy so vote on best scene i'm going with the train sequence and the whole stand up for the police 
I don't really know if I want to vote for one, honestly, but... Uh, I'm with Dan here. You're going to have to vote, Matt. Okay. I'm going chess match. I think you said Holocaust, so... Uh, well, yeah, I'll vote for the Holocaust scene. Well, no, you know what? I, I'll make a tie to ruin your guys' vote. I'll go with the, <laughs> the oh beginning bookends of Tom's, the Senate speech, and the chess at the end. Thanks, Matt. I will back it because that chess scene, for one, we just watched the trailer for X2. They use that clip to set it up because it's such... If you had to encapsulate the first right. movie, there you go. Yeah. So I give it to Tom. All right, let's move on to Villain Corner. We're going to rate the diabolical plan of the villain, whether <laughs> whether it was realistic, whether maybe they had a point with their uh, their scheme, whether they maybe made one fatal error. How realistic was Magneto's plan, and did it make any sense? So upon watching this one, and I know it had been a while, and I know I just talked him up for how you know great the opening <laughs> scene was and stuff like that, uh, I realized that he is just a Bond villain in this movie. The lair is straight from like a Bond set. <laughs> Uh, he's got sidekicks that are terrible and goofy and have like the worst gimmicks, like the frog one and the saber tooth one. Like, there's not a lot of diversity other than Mystique. His name is Toad. <laughs> what did I say? You said frog. You there's know a who very I mean. clear difference. Yeah, well, come on. Uh, but he is straight up Magneto, and the whole plan, everything, is straight from a Bond film. My question was, what does he actually want? He says he wants a war between the mutants and the humans, but then he also wants to convert the world leaders into mutants, presumably for like tolerance or that, like. I assume more to prove a point right but it's flimsy it's It's a little flimsy you know they they make this big thing to to convert senator kelly when really it would have been way more effective because like you know then if he survives then he is an example of why mutants are bad if they kill him and just have mystique impersonate him like he can they can say whatever they want and really influence things so yeah you just that was one of the biggest holes that they might as well have just had mystique be the senator from the beginning Right, that's the ending of the movie. Well, and then the other big thing that doesn't make any sense is using Rogue to transfer like the power because right. you know he tra- if he transfers his power to her, he becomes really weak, and now suddenly she can control metal. She can tear this thing apart. Right. She can tear he, him apart. He doesn't have mind control over her. Yeah, once she has the power, like she doesn't have to keep going. Yeah, I, and and you know not only not only does she have the choice to refuse, but she can literally kill him for doing that to it because he's just making her really powerful she's inadvertently killing him yeah right so it's like why i mean that that's that's some bad plot even right there. even before that i'm not 100 percent sure they'd say how magneto even knows about rogue like that he doesn't have the same cerebral guessing unless yeah, i can't think I of how know. he would know that's a good point also if he has a machine that can create mutants he should have created better henchmen or at least a few more <laughs> right like right. He, he knows that the x-men are like six or seven people like why not have more than three guys to i'll help take him? toad and uh, <laughs> yeah. saber too one of my main notes on here is why toad that's <laughs> like literally i just wrote why toad so many X-Men characters, why Toad? When I think of the um, that X-Men cartoon, I think of Toad, was it the blob? Yeah. yeah. They, like, they actually wanted to use the blob in this movie, but they were worried that they had too many characters. Too many characters. They wanted to use the blob and the juggernaut for Magneto's uh, team. One of the other things I want to talk about about uh, villain plans is, what does Mystique put in Cerebro that can make yeah. Professor X pass out? Well, we don't and know what, what that like, chemical yeah, is. What is it? Why does it work? I think it was yeah. some kind of spinach <laughs> smoothie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it, it's not like the chemical ever entered his body it did what what was happening there it doesn't make any that that annoyed me more than most things i mean this is a a character trait of a lot of these movies from the early 2000s was even up until this day is passing off like fake science as real science quantum science yeah exactly (laughs) yes uh next category capes and tights let's rate the superhero costumes in this movie we already talked about uh there was some controversy with not using the blue and yellow spandex they use black leather right uh how do we feel about superhero costumes in this movie a lot more adult yeah I was going to say, I feel like it helps set the tone of making this a more like serious 
adult like movie. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. But the problem is then is that everyone's wearing the same thing and it's not that exciting. Right. It also feels very late nineties to wear yeah, leather. Right. Is this where we talk about Wolverine's hairstyling in this? Oh, I, I think this is where we talk about I think about that's Wolverine's why he was style. cage fighting was for the money for more hair product. Because it is <laughs> I get it, you're a Wolverine. It is weird. In other movies he has like a similar style but doesn't look as like forced as this i don't know what it is yeah they probably you know they were trying to have it resemble the comics and then this was the best they come with like yeah that looks vaguely real he's not wearing black and yellow so let's at least make the hair correct yeah (laughs) maybe would have liked to have seen some nudity that might have helped (laughs) i I meant wolverine when he's wearing that low low cut sweatshirt running through the school just zip it up all the way man they gotta show that chest hair yeah speaking of chest hair speaking of chest hair we got uh patrick stewart with oh yes that's a stern that is a lawn i I don't like you talking about my dad like that (laughs) you wonder where it goes on his head it's all on the chest that's all the only hair he can grow should we move on no no (laughs) who else's hair did you like body hair we had a category of that do you you assume that uh toad's character doesn't have any body hair (laughs) just slime he's just covered in mucus he's just a gooey boy i guess mystique's makeup kind of falls under this that's an iconic costume that's pretty good design for as long as she had to sit there and get it applied to her i will count that yeah i'm sure it was the worst experience ever i think they said like nine hours or something by (laughs) the end of the i mean by the end of it all like once jennifer lawrence got up there i think they got it down to three but in these first ones it was nine hours it's really amazing her body wasn't like damaged like the original like scarecrow for wizard of oz probably was all right next category which side character in this movie deserved it their own spinoff their own spinoff not Sabretooth. uh my vote is for ray park not toad but for ray park (laughs) good good luck john that (laughs) actor who plays toad uh, he was also Darth Maul. Yeah. Uh, so he's oh. he's a badass. You just want more no. work for Ray Park. <laughs> yeah. You know, he deserves it. Damn it. <laughs> I think you're working harder than his agent ever has. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Sabretooth. That's who I would probably give a spinoff to. Is I want to see the movie of how he turned from Leo Schreiber into this Sabretooth because that's oh. probably a weird transformation. Well, this is weird, and it goes back to my theory that they had no idea that they would get a sequel because he really should be related to Wolverine, and they yeah. don't even bother. The uh, the other spinoff one is the kid who teleports playing basketball. I want to <laughs> see like some like sports Air Bud style movie <laughs> with been him. Like Mike or something like that. <laughs> Dan's all here for that movie. I yeah. totally am. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say who had, who should get their spin off of this movie would be Mystique. She put in the most work with the bodysuit. I think she could have had her own movie. She's one of the coolest characters that you don't get a lot of explanation for. It's yeah. literally just the henchmen that can turn into people. It is kind of like cheap, though, because we have gotten these characters in other movies. So we kind of do have spinoffs and backstories. I know, but thinking for that but time like, period. Yeah, no, I get I get it, and that makes sense. I think it'd be really depressing, but obviously we talk about how the beginning of this movie starts off with like such an intense tone. It would be pretty cool to see like a very early origin story for oh, him. That would have been a good spinoff, well, prequel for him. I mean, we kind of get it in yeah. first class, but yeah. yeah. But we didn't know that at the time. That's so. <laughs> Sure. We're doing this podcast in November 2000. Yeah. <laughs> Next category is the producer's chair. If you could go back and change one thing about this movie, what would it be? I don't really know why they chose Rogue, because that's not really her character. She was essentially a stand-in for Jubilee, and and I my thing that I would change is to go back, have Jubilee instead of Rogue. You can have Rogue be you know one of the established X Men. You 
know, to have to go back and have an Asian actor be the heart of this new movie would have been really cool and really progressive. I'm actually surprised to hear you say that because I could have sworn you would have just said more Ray Park for your answer of what you would have changed about this movie. <laughs> oh, you're right. I want Ray Park to play every character. We got it, guys. We got it. I think I want more James Marsden, but that's probably just for selfish reasons. We all want more because he's cute. He's that's so a different cute. movie. <laughs> one other obvious one we can talk about this with what didn't age well is yeah. to change the director. Uh, Brian Singer is not a person that we fondly remember exactly nope. so I, I think he does a fine job in this movie but just in terms of the legacy he's left seeing brian singer's name all over this movie is not my favorite it's one of those things where separating the art from the artist uh if you want to call him an artist or this art but he was kind of a good director choice at the time i, I think that he actually did an okay job with it but yeah it it makes you feel real gross for me in the producer's chair i don't really know what i would change i mean selfishly i think i'd maybe want more Ian McKillen because he absolutely kills it in this. Yeah. Just more time with him, the more menacing, the better. Because he really just comes off as a low-class Bond villain to me in this, mm -hmm. even though they've set him up with such an emotional and solid reasoning for his actions. Yeah. All right, next category is questions. What questions does this movie bring up? Just plot points, weird things that happen. So my big one uh, right off the bat was when they're in the truck uh, going away from the bar. She introduces herself as Rogue. When do they choose their X-Man name? Like, <laughs> like, it feels weird that she's just a runaway at this point, and she's like, I'm going rogue. Oh, that's dope as hell. <laughs> was she rogue in high school in Mississippi? Yeah, I say maybe that was her like her elementary school like I was like I'm gonna go by rogue and be cool and that's why no one liked her I don't know do you think it would have been better though if like there would have been some cheesy part like oh you ran away from home going rogue and then like that she that would have been horrible yeah, there's no mean, good way of doing it other than her that just saying been, it like Han Solo right exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's why I don't mind her just having it and being like sure whatever moving on yeah because I, I don't even so. like her character all that much no she's not good. so other questions uh, Magneto says he came to America in 1949 why does he have a British accent? Well, maybe, you know, he grew up in uh, Poland, I'm assuming, and that he would have learned English in England. That's most Europeans. I have German friends that when they speak English, yeah. they speak British. Sure, but he's also been in America for 60 years. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know that he stayed That's true. for that right, long. Right. I have a lot of questions about Mystique's powers. Obviously, she can shapeshift into people, but... She clearly has Wolverine's claws in this. Right, like, she gets the abilities. How does that, like, that, if she actually gets like the full ability and like all of their accessories, like that's a lot of power. Right? Yeah, but that here, was weird. So here though is that her claws aren't adamantium because he slices through them. So right. like, and she screams. Yeah, so and that's why it almost feels like it should have like cut some of her fingers off, which right. would have been excessive. Like it's an extension right. of herself. I yeah. don't know. Do the fragments of the claws get left behind or do those disappear? Oh, so that's that tough. The that's physics tough don't make sense. <laughs> that's the kind of thing someone asked on set and then they went, shut up. Yeah. Another question I had is, why the horses at the mansion? Well, like, <laughs> why not? Equestrian is a very <laughs> well, important part yeah. of a balanced education. Why, it, why it just seemed like it was like, hey, look how rich we are. We have horses. Why the basketball court then, Tom? Because For there Dan. are kids playing basketball because <laughs> they go to school there. The basketball thing brings up an interesting thought is how many athletes in this universe are actually mutants and they're not actually as That's the kind of thing that keeps Dan up at night. It really does. Is Barry Bonds a mutant? <laughs> Barry a, Bonds is who you go with? In a, in a way he is. <laughs> Um, not to get too political here, but let's talk about Senator Kelly a second. Yeah. He's obviously nefarious and he has bad intentions. You could just think of him as McCarthy for the most sure. part. But does he have kind of a point about like, hey, mutants could literally walk into the White House without any security. Like, and he brings to the point later, it's like, we'd register guns, don't we? Like, does he have kind of a point for like, maybe I understand the persecution part's bad, but the registration part, is that 
all that crazy? That's an excellent question. There's been many comic book storylines asking <laughs> that very question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe include it as a question on the census, but I, I feel like <laughs> registration I, is... I feel is like the flip extreme. side of that, in a world where America would embrace that, we would just immediately weaponize them. It would oh, be yeah. Real oh, bad. yeah. It'd be real bad. It'd be an arms race of human beings. One of the questions I had in that scene that we brought up with all the guns being aimed at their own cops there's one there's one poor cop that the bullet is actually shot and he just doesn't decide to move like the bullet is so close to him and he just winces in pain can't he back up it's it's basically the scene in austin powers with the steamroller yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except just, much closer yeah in a bullet right like i get maybe magneto's keeping them there somehow well but. i would assume if he's cop he's got a lot of metal on his belt so sure. maybe that's what it was i mean he can he can still like move, move his, his head, head. Yeah. yeah there's no good excuse uh, I th- i'm just thinking he's scared that's yeah, I feel it. like in that moment you wouldn't be able to move. So I think in that moment, if I was able to look and physically see a bullet in front of me, I would be like, back up. <laughs> Af- after I had pooped myself. Yeah, that right. would have been the, the second thought. Next category we have is the cringe factor. Uh, this is a category that will for sure be used more as we watch these older movies. But really, this is what aged the worst and what doesn't look good anymore. One of the huge standout things to me of what didn't age well or what was just kind of like, why was the dramatic sound effects? Oh, my God. They were like so the bad. Like the net cracking and like the slicing. And it was all just like... Like, just ridiculous. <laughs> it sounded like when they would write it in the comic panels, you know, the pow. It, it was right. that, that extreme, but not cool. Right. It didn't seem like it, that was the reason why they did it. No, it just, that's what it made no, me think of. No, it's just how dramatic it was. We talked about Brian Singer. Obviously, that yeah. has not aged well. Another thing I didn't love was the cinematography, just the coloring of this. There are a couple times where they use, like, a very yellow tint or just, like, it, it's very 90s to use that kind of style. Can you of... even say they were trying to make a comic booky with it? Because I don't not, think that no, works I don't here. think that's what, I think it was just... 90s. I think it yeah. looks like a, and, a movie from 1997. And like it's, the cinematography, like there's a lot of those really bad fast zooms and pans and stuff. And it's just yeah. like, oh God, it was such a bad era. Truly, <laughs> truly the patina of the 90s. Another way you can tell it's from this time period is that every big set piece of action is in the dark, like at yeah. night, trying to disguise some of the special effects. Oh. Like, you know, the train sequence of the Statue of Liberty. It's hard to really see what's going on. And it's so dark. One of the most cringy things is when Wolverine's on the motorcycle and it's just the the background blurry past. I, I call that the Men in Black moment. It's literally the red button for <laughs> Men in Black and then the super fast. That yeah, was completely it's, unnecessary. It's I thought the effect of uh, Senator Kelly turning into water was going to be bad, but it, it's pretty good considering. It was, for its time, not it's, bad. Yeah, very it's not hollow, great. man. But for that time period, yeah, it was it, it not bad. Up, okay, I mean, you still look at it and be like, "Oh, that's a they they were proud of that effect." But right. uh, same with him squeezing his head through the bars and it. Oh, extends. they love that. Yeah, but it, it actually that. looks okay. I think the worst thing to have aged in that movie is uh, Anna Paquin shoving beef jerky in her mouth because boy, <laughs> does she look stupid doing that. Yeah, Anna Paquin's acting I have written down here is it's not great. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen you eat beef jerky in a similar way, Tom. I don't think that's too ridiculous. I don't know. I'd like to think I have a little class. I thought that did go on a little longer than it needed to, but I was also like, is, is he going to say something to her? Like, save some room for later? Or <laughs> All right, let's talk about the movie Legacy. Will this movie live on for future generations, and do we view this as a success? I feel like as a standalone movie, in my opinion, it's kind of like, 
was fine. But if you think about it as setting up sort of like the legacy that was to come after it and just opening the doors to something so much bigger than just this movie, then yes. I agree. I think I think we can consider it a success because of what it launched. I don't think that kids that are growing up are really going to seek this out, though, because Marvel now owns the property. Right. They're going to they're going to reboot this. They're going to have a, a fresh X-Men cast. And so they're never going to go back to this. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But I do think Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart will be cemented in time for any superhero films as maybe the best superhero casting of all time. Well, I mean, same with Hugh Jackman, though. Like, sure. I mean, him, he, him he as well. played that role for, you know, almost 20 years. Those, like, it's going to be really tough for whoever follows. Those three, I think, have cemented it, even yeah. though the plot is meh. Right. Yeah. That That's enough. It's the characters. It's also the civil rights parallel. Obviously, yeah. that's taken from the comics. Yeah, I don't. I want to give credit to the movie. Well, I, right, but I think watching it today was an eye-opener when we were talking about, like, watching the senators talk about mutants. It's like, oh, that's a very interesting how that relates to today's there's some parallels immigrants it, or other minority first, groups it's yeah. more potent today than it was in 2000 i think so i mean yeah. i think in 2000 brian singer's definitely going for more of an lgbtq right. uh, parallel which he actually does a lot better next to i think but that message is going to relate to anyone just because our world is kind of that way unfortunately yeah i so, think there might always be that yeah so i truth. think that that is the reason maybe to watch these movies is because it's not just superheroes punching a villain it's there's a little bit more going on underneath the surface. That's something that the X-Men has always, you know, stood for is that the other that fight. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether the other is this thing to fear. So I, I don't think that this movie is necessarily going to survive because of that message, because that message is going to continue on with the next property. So I think we'd agree that if anything is the legacy of this movie, it's just the, the performances. Yeah. Maybe more than the story itself. I think so. Sure. We'll get to X2 in a couple episodes, I'm sure. I generally think X2 is the better movie. I think it mm-hmm. explores I'm excited. the characters a little bit better. And obviously X-Men the franchise goes in some ups and downs. We'll I can't wait. <laughs> this has been fun. All right. Next movie in our series. We're going chronologically the year 2000. The next film is... M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. Oh, I'm excited for that. Shyamalan a ding dong. And you three have seen this movie. I have never seen Unbreakable. I'm excited for you to see it. I I saw Split, so I know how that movie relates to that one, but I've not seen Unbreakable all the way through. Uh, There are some people who really, really love Unbreakable, so it'll be fun to dissect that. It wasn't until after Split that I saw it, and I'll talk about this, I'm sure, again in that podcast, but... For some reason, someone had spoiled that movie for me, and I just had the spoiler in the back of my head, but could not tell you the name of the film. So once I was watching, I go, oh, I know exactly where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that'll do it. We'll do Unbreakable next time. We've got some good movies coming up, some good classic early superhero movies. I'm talking Spider-Man, the original... Angley's Hulk, the original Fantastic wait, Four. Wait till we get to Spider-Man 2 I was and gonna, Dan loses his gun. I was going to say, we got to take a moment to say that this whole podcast was just <laughs> made so that Dan could gush about Spider-Man 2. Pay attention, folks. It's a great movie. Take Have a rewatch. It's going to be great. But we're not there yet. We'll get there eventually. All right, so that's our episode of Superhero Century. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, this is part of the Cinema Composite channel. Uh, like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and we will see you next time. 